How's it going tonight, everybody? We are Run the Real featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. Well, this week, we, we've been drilling for oil. Oh, yeah. Drilling deep, baby. Deep into a filmography of a certain director, that is. Yeah, we've been drilling for oil and a review of this movie. Who, who picked this one in our, our Paul Thomas Anderson category? It was me, Dan. Yes, he's mentioned this movie a few times. Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you pick? Well, you know, I picked a movie starring Daniel Day-Lewis playing a man named Daniel Plainview. So we've got a three-Dan structure going on here. Mm. Ah, the holy trinity of Dan's. <laughs> I guess so, but I don't I don't know if I want to be associated <laughs> with one of them. <laughs> yeah, who let him in there? Yep. Anyways, um I picked There Will Be Blood. What a title. It is a good title. A movie, yeah, that's been on my list for pretty much any the the length of that I've known about like and had Netflix. I think I put that that was one of the first things I added to my watch list and I never watched it ever. So it's good to finally come full circle. Although it wasn't on Netflix by the time I got to it. So. Yeah, this is my second time watching this movie. I watched it way back when it was on Netflix TV. That's when I watched it too. And I would say this is better with a rewatch, actually, I think. Hmm. I was getting pretty pumped on rewatch, I will say. Like an anticipation. Mm-hmm. Pumping anticipation, pumping oil, all sorts of pumping going on. Profitable pumping, I dare yes. say. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, first we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it with the non-spoilers. We're not going to spoil anything yet, but we'll let you know, listener, when we get there. So if you're worried about that, we'll tell you when we get to spoilers. So just, yeah. Keep your ears open. Yep. There will be a hard spoiler warning. And if I remember right, with the, the new format, we got uh, Dan's got to say his thoughts first about this one. Although, you know, I'll ask. I realize I just watched this movie a couple days ago, but if you could give me a brief synopsis of what it's about, Dan. Ah, yes. There Will Be Blood is about an oil prospector named Daniel Plainview at the turn of the century in America. And he's out looking for oil, and he finds it. And he becomes a big-time oil man. But he's got a counterpart that he argues with and has <laughs> many disagreements with called Paul Sunday, who is a cult leader. And they have various run-ins throughout the movie. And it basically just chronicles... Daniel Plainview's life and descent into madness, basically. Yep, pretty much. Oil and madness. They mix. Unlike water, it mixes well. <laughs> Who would have thought? You know, I I took a page from Fox and I've been writing down all my notes and stuff in my little movie notebook that I got off Amazon. And I started it at the start of this thing, so it's all just Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And I, I scroll through them and look at them, and there's like, you know, they're all pretty good. I've got the technical stuff really high on the other ones we've watched, but they've all had some problem with them that I wasn't like too big a fan of or thought could have been better. Then I get to There Will Be Blood, and... There's like nothing, nothing wrong with it. I oh. love this movie. <laughs> My palms were so sweaty there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. This is like, I mean, just reinforces that how good this guy is and that this is for sure his best movie. Because I'm like, man, everything clicks in this. It's It's great. It's got great writing. It's got great characters. Arguably the best acting. Out of Daniel Day-Lewis in any of the movies we've watched so far, I'd say. He's so good. I mean, every time he's on screen in this, he's just like magnetic presence, you know? Which works really well when he goes up against Paul Dano's character. But we can get into that later. But, I mean, yeah, just everything is great in this. I think it's like 
Paul Thomas Anderson and his team are firing on all cylinders with this movie, and it, it's, it's just great. I think Daniel Day is actually retired now. He was in another uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and I, it sounds like he has, he, yeah, he issued a statement after saying he was done, and I don't think he's been in anything since. Oh, that's too bad. Not unlike Philip Seymour Hoffman, I do feel like Daniel Day is like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of actor. He's so good in everything he does. would agree, yeah. Very intense, this guy. Very intense. In this movie, for sure. Man. I I think this is a really good movie, too. I like it quite a bit. I'm not so sure if it is my favorite that I've seen from Paul W.S. Or Paul, not Paul W.S. Anderson. That is it's definitely <laughs> better than anything I've seen from him. But Paul Thomas Anderson, I don't know. Uh, I think I might like Punch Drunk Love better, but... This is definitely yeah, another case of pretty much all the yeah all the stuff is pretty great. Um, all the technical stuff, all the acting, it's as good as you'd expect. I yeah, I, I was mostly impressed by it. I I might think it goes a little too long, but that we can get into that I guess, and once we start talking about story a little bit more. But overall, yeah, I think this is a very good movie. Yeah, I agree with. With everything that's been said, and I agree with you, Dan. This is my favorite um, Paul Thomas Anderson, like, by by far. I think this movie is like a masterpiece. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, we've said it before, does a great job of transporting you to, um, like, the setting of the movie, and it was amazing in this one. Best work, I think, by far. This looked like something out of Red Dead Redemption. It looked so good. And that with the like ominous music in the background and Daniel Day-Lewis's character just watching him descend and his character evolve throughout the movie. Oh, it's so good. That is crazy how like he just nails all these different time periods like perfectly. I think that's pretty impressive for a director to be able to just, yeah, seamlessly shift from one time period to the next. And uh, yeah, it's it, it fits you right into the world so fast. It's crazy. I, I've been pretty impressed by his ability to do that. Yeah, and this one, so good. Like the sets, the costume design, all the shots, the locations they filmed. Oh, it's it's just all so good. It kind of reminds me of uh, Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Just the way that it's like lit. Like a lot of the outdoor scenes seem like they're just straight up natural sunlight. You know, it's like between like 1890 and 1920s. So a lot of the indoor shots are like natural candlelight and fires. But it looks so good. At least I think it does. I feel like it, it captures the essence of the time and still looks like a painting. Every frame a painting. For sure. This is probably his best shot, best looking movie, I think. Though that that's all his movies are real good looking, you know. But I mean, this one like. I don't know, there's something, there's something about it. Maybe it's because it's like not in a city or anything, and it's just out in the country all the time for the most part. It, it, it hits a bit differently, and I think that's a lot, be a lot, it's, well, we know it's a lot harder to film outdoors than indoors, you know, so that alone is pretty impressive with a lot of the shots and things they're able to do in this. I think, yeah, and I think there's a lot more like, grandiosity with some of the shots like there's a lot more like i guess quote unquote like epic shots like with like big like set pieces and stuff and it's like whoa that looks really cool you know or you know all those movies have looked good but i don't know if there's anything quite as like grand that i've seen um in his other movies so far yeah this this scale is really well done in this yeah 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 and i think the the once again it's like very interesting character maybe i don't know it's I like his movies have all kind of been more yeah like character focused generally I feel like um so far at least from what I've seen and this is just uh this has kind of a plot to it but it also is kind of yeah like you said earlier Dan it kind of is just like life I guess and his like descent but it's it's really cool watching yeah uh Daniel Day-Lewis just kind of go nuts and just like really encompass the character see its rise its fall all of this interesting stuff that goes on with him. And it's it's really cool that they can, yeah, they could just keep me so invested even, yeah, without the plot being, like, necessary. It's more, yeah, just like a life a life of a person rather than 
a strong narrative, I would say. That that follows up with what all the other ones have been like too, from them that we've seen. I I agree, but I I like the like life story in this one, but the plot behind it is very interesting as well compared to some of his other movies. Like Inherent Vice was kind of just a walking phoenix walking around a little bit. This one feels like the plot is easy to follow and it's compelling for me. Oh yeah. I think it's the most coherent we've seen from him so far. Yep. Yep. The other ones have been all kinds of weird. We we kept saying weird. I don't know what other term to use, but this one is the most, I think it's like A to B to C, like you get to see it all and it's contained. And I, I appreciate that quite a bit. Yeah. It's all about when he finds, well, I guess he finds silver first, but gets started up in the oil business and then where that takes him. So he's an oil man. You'll believe him when he says it. He looks like an oil man, and he sounds like an oil man. Oh, yeah, he does. The The way Daniel Day-Lewis moves in this movie, he, like, completely becomes this character for me. I forget I'm watching Daniel Day-Lewis. It's so good, because, like, the beginning of the movie, he has something like crush his leg, right? And then the whole rest of the movie, he's got that limp. I don't know if you guys noticed that. But I did this time, and he kind of walks hunched over. Just like his body language is so good, too. I didn't even put that together. I just assumed it was because he's old now. Like, you know, I, I forgot that. Yeah, he hurt his leg at the beginning. So that makes a lot of sense. He does a really cool thing where, like, if he's sitting down when a scene starts, and, like, he has to walk somewhere, like, you can see him, like, get up and, like, have to, like, kind of shake out his leg. And then, like, as he's walking, it, like, warms up and his gait gets more steady. It just seems like so much effort to me. Like, in my mind, if I was trying to do that... That wouldn't even cross my mind, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I'll just get up. Maybe I'll limp the whole way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agree. He does a great job. And I also wanted to point out Paul Dano. That dude does an awesome job in this movie, too, um, playing, like, the Weasley weird cult guy who... I, I, don't, I don't know how to describe him. He did such a good job, though. It's, it's nuts. He feels off. As soon as you see him, well, I mean, as soon as you see his brother first, right, you're like, all right, something's off here. And then when you get to Eli himself, you're like, oh, yeah, you just want to smack him, you know? I, I sympathize a little bit with, with Daniel Plainview. <laughs> I just want to smack the dude. <laughs> He's always conniving in his head. You can tell. Yeah, there's something going on. And it, and it ain't good. It ain't good, whatever he's thinking about. Like, just the chemistry between the two of them and their acting. I haven't seen anything like it in another movie ever before. I don't feel like two characters playing off of each other in this way. It, it's pretty crazy. I think what's really cool is that I, I believe I saw that he wasn't even slated to be Eli, the, you know, that guy, when filming started. And then, like, after they started filming and he did the brother role, Paul Thomas was like, hey, man, what if we just made you this other role, too? <laughs> wow. That's crazy. I mean, they are, they are kind of similar, Eli and Paul. I mean, Paul shows up and immediately tries to scam him with information you know but daniel plainview's too smart to get fooled by that and so <laughs> goes through all that and then, i mean eli's basically doing the exact same thing just on a bigger scale <laughs> i've got questions about that but we can we can talk about that later um yeah okay we'll get into yeah. the guts of it <laughs> are we are we ready to get there i think i'm ready sure yeah We've gone deep enough in the well, and we've hit the spoiler uh, section, but we're going deeper for the oil. Oh, yes. Let's, let's put on our uh, cloth masks and, you know, climb down <laughs> the pit. Hopefully we don't die of inhalation or anything like that. Spoilers from here on out. We, we're going to break it down into story and acting first, and then visual and audio, and then kind of overall presentation, so... Story and acting, we've already talked about it, but let's dive into it. What do you guys got? So that makes a lot of sense what you said about them just be deciding Paul Dano could be both brothers. Because I thought that was just like a really weird plot element that there's two characters that were the same person. You know, I guess they're twins or whatever, but like 
Paul never shows back up, does he? Like he's just gone after that. Yep, he just gone. I mean, he mentions them at the end to rub it in Eli's face. <laughs> I thought that was really weird. I don't know. I I feel like they could have been the same character almost because. It kind of confused me because I thought that Paul was like his like alias and he was pretending to be Paul the whole time. You know, when he first met him, didn't want to give his real name for whatever reason. And then it didn't really become clear to me until like he was talking with his father, like towards the middle of the movie. I was like, oh, they are actually two separate people the whole time. It seemed like it was overly complicated when it didn't need to be. Gotcha. I guess I feel like their their demeanor is kind of different. Like Paul's pretty, pretty meek and like hesitant, you know. He still kind of stands up for himself when Plainview tries to kind of jerk him around, but I feel like Eli's a lot more weaselly and I'm important. You should listen to me. Yeah, he's got an ego. But I could see where your confusion might be, TV, if you thought it was like an alias. It it is a bit confusing, I think. I I do I did notice this time though that like Daniel Plainview and HW like have like a little look or whatever when Eli brings them the sticks. And I was like, ah, that's them being like, oh, they have, there's a twin brother here, you know. I caught that this time, but when I saw it the first time, I was a little bit confused by it too. <laughs> well, see, so yeah, I thought they were just playing along. Like then Eli's like, ah, oh, yeah, see, it's me, but now I'm Eli. Like I think they like, they all like became clear about what was happening or something. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird, uh, but I mean, I don't, I don't think that like hurts the movie very much, but it's just like, I just seem like such a strange like decision. I don't know but if it doesn't, if it's not going to play up later, you know? Yeah. I, I'm glad that it was Paul Dano. He's like, his screen performance is so off and uncanny and weird. And like every movie I've seen him in, that guy nails that stuff. And it's perfect for this one when you take basically Daniel's character against him. And Daniel is this like massive oil tycoon guy out and he's going to get whatever he wants. And then um, Eli is just kind of weird and uncanny and they keep intersecting in each other's lives. It's just really good. I do like that quite a bit. They have that really cool antagonistic relationship. It's It's like, I guess it's almost like, yeah, they're trying to like, we figure out who's in charge kind of thing of this like community kind of, you know, like who's got the most influence and they're like trying, they kind of push each other and antagonize each other in their own ways. Yeah. You can tell that Daniel day Lewis is just so done with that kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. He's like, man, this freaking dude. <laughs> All he talks about is the church. He keeps coming and talking to me about the church. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about it anymore. I think what struck me this time around is that, like, it is a rivalry, but it kind of seems like Eli is, like, a footnote to, like, Daniel. Like, he's so little and unimportant in the broader scheme of things, and Daniel's always like, oh, you? Again? You're back? One more time? Come on. Yeah, I think a lot of people are that way in his life, yeah, which, like, it comes ahead at the end with that random old man who's held held out for so long or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Him. Oh. Maybe he was slightly more important than I gave him credit for. Yeah, I guess in contrast to like the master where we saw like, you know, a story unfold where we got like, a, you know, a view of the story from a side character. This one is like about a main character. And we really don't get a lot from the side characters. Yeah, that's true. It's mostly, yeah, Daniel Plainview and there. Yeah, it's 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 mostly his show with a little bit of, yeah, Eli sprinkled in there, but... Him and I guess HW's got a little bit going on, but that's his son. I definitely appreciate this perspective because, like you mentioned, there's some side characters who are reoccurring throughout it, but each one kind of tells like a lesson and has a theme associated with them, like HW's family. I feel like Eli is kind of a smaller version of himself as the con man that he is. And then Kevin J. O'Connor. What was his name? Or O'Connell. Oh, yeah. I, I love that guy. I've been trying to figure out what he would represent as like the theme or what his character is to like Daniel, but I haven't figured that quite out yet. But each one is super interesting and kind of contained and tells something different and interesting to the story. Adds another layer. Yeah. I think Henry is just another another swindler. And then it teaches, I I guess 
it doesn't really teach Daniel plain view because I think he was he is always suspicious of him, which I I liked. Like he he had him employed and treated him as his brother for like a long long time. <laughs> But he was always suspicious. He never fully trusted him, which I I like that aspect about him. So it kind of just reinforces that everybody's out to get him and take advantage of him in his mind anyways, which after after that comes up in the forefront much more. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And what a terrifying scene of Daniel Day-Lewis Waking you up with a gun under your chin while his face is like lit by the fire. Ooh. With that music in the background, that's like, <laughs> oh. It was intense. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, the fake brother thing is kind of like his, it feels like he wants to have, he wants this to be a quote unquote family business, you know, like he wanted HW to be with him and then HW hurt his ears and, Things went wrong, so he ditched HW, and then his brother shows up, and he wants. He's like, "Well, now he's my new partner, and I'll hang out with him all the time." You know, he wants it to be like a family thing, because I guess that probably looks better on like normal folk. I guess you know they want to. He's a family man. He sticks with his family, but yeah, eventually that that breaks away. Just like HW kind of. Except well, HW, you know, he gets his ears blown out, and then he um, gets yeah treated horribly, and I guess he tries to murder his dad or his fake dad's brother but yeah it's complicated but it's yeah it's weird i think there's like something weird going on with daniel plainview that's like never really addressed maybe i don't know on the second watching of it i felt like not like only did he want to be seen as a family man but i feel like maybe he's also like a sociopath like he's unable to emphasize and like he tries to communicate that when he's like there's that competition in me i don't want anyone else to win but i kind of feel like he wants to be understood like he hopes that his son will like understand him and be like him and then i feel like he hopes that his brother will understand him and be like him like when he's asking him those weird questions are you an angry man are you a jealous man like before i thought he was like paranoid and being like are you gonna try and take advantage of me but now i kind of feel like he's being like are you like me? Could be both. Probably both. That's a good point. <laughs> I like what you were saying there, Fox, that Daniel Plainview is like a sociopath. I feel like he definitely is because he's basically the ideal like American dream man in this like capitalist, I feel like. And he's building this oil empire. And what is it like most CEOs are <laughs> supposed to be like sociopaths? I feel like he fits that bill perfectly because he does some terrible stuff in this. And it's weird that I was kind of rooting for him, wanting him to build his like oil empire. I wanted to see him do it, but he's a terrible guy. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Like my wife and I felt like said the same thing. We were both like, oh, he's awful. But then like you kind of root for him sometimes, or at least we did. But then we're like, no, wait, that's not good. Like, you hurt people. <laughs> yeah, he's not. It's interesting. He is an interesting character because it's, I do think he does want, yeah, like you said, Fox, maybe he wants to be understood. He, there is like a soft side to him, I think, but anything to do with his business overshadows that so much that he like will turn a blind side to literally anything to like make sure his business succeeds. And that's like his ultimate, yeah, like at least in his personal life, that pretty much destroys him because he gives up everything else any other personal connections he has for it. I guess his his well of family and friends has run dry at the end, and he's just <laughs> left alone, passed out in the bowling alley. It it does a great job, I think, of doing the theme of, like, money doesn't bring you happiness necessarily. This is a very good telling of that, I feel like. Because he did it, he built his business, but what did it cost him? But, like... While I'm watching it, I'm rooting for him. I'm like, yeah, build that empire, dude. I think there's almost a, like an irony to it, though. Because, like, Eli, right, is like a, you know, a con man also. He's he's like a poor dude, you know, going through the guise of religion. But he's like nothing because he has no money. Like, at every turn, Daniel constantly is like, mmm, but money is actually God. <laughs> constantly. Always showing him up like that. And then they both end up, you know, 
relatively unhappy, I guess. Daniel Day seems pretty satisfied in the final moments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't before that, though. Yeah, he, he gets one last inkling of satisfaction by destroying one of his last few personal human connections, albeit maybe a, a negative connection, but he still destroys it, just like all his other ones. Well, I don't think it's all about money with him, either. I think that's just, like, the byproduct, maybe. I think he's more concerned with... Well, he said at, at one point in the movie, right, that he just wanted to make enough money so he could get away from everybody because he hates people, or most people, he says, right? So I think it's that personality quirk, or I guess not a quirk, being a sociopath, maybe, that's maybe at like 50-50 with wanting to make money, you know? Because he turns down that that one oil company who are going to buy him out, right, and make him a millionaire um, over a personal grudge he has with them and wanting to be seen as in control and doing it all himself without taking any help from other people. So I think that might be more of a driving force for him than money is. Yeah, it's power. He wants to, yeah, the way to do it himself. Yeah, he wants to be the one who sets the terms of his quote-unquote retirement, yeah. He is like the libertarian, like, dream. The ideal of that, yeah. He doesn't want anybody else helping him. <laughs> it's interesting because he does a lot of good things in this movie, but he only does good things when they're going to benefit him. Otherwise, he... He he doesn't care about anybody. I mean, it's so menacing at the start when, having seen this before, when he um, adopts H.W., you know, and you, I'm just sitting there going, oh, man, this scumbag right at the start is <laughs> like, you know, he's just adopting him so he can use his face to help um, people connect with him. I do think there's something weird about his adoption thing. Yeah, like not just like using H.W., but I guess I do feel like he's trying to mold him and grow him so he feels like he has somebody he can talk to that's as smart as him. Yeah, I don't know if it was like a purely evil thing. I feel like that's one of the like, he didn't have to adopt that kid. It was the Wild West. Who knows what could happen to that kid? But I mean, I think he ultimately does the right thing. I don't. Yeah, I think he's seeking more than just, yeah, using the kid. I think he, he has a genuine connection with him, I think. but Until he goes deaf. Well, ultimately, <laughs> yeah, his business, like I said before, looms over all his relationships and it starts to get in the way of that. And so he it kicks the kid to the road and does his own thing. But I think he does want like a human family relationship or something. I think he does want that somewhere in his heart. I think he does too. And I think you can definitely take it both ways. Um, I can see, for me, both ways that he's just doing all these things to benefit him. But I can also see it that he actually cares. And I think that's a testament to Daniel Day-Lewis's uh, like acting skills in this and his performance and the writing. Um, like This is the kind of ambiguity that I want in this because it makes Daniel's character so freaking interesting to watch throughout the whole movie. Because I'm trying to figure out, does he care or is he just like building this empire and everything just needs to benefit him? It's hard to tell. I, I lean to, towards the he's just doing it all for um, his business, and then maybe he gets a little attached along the way unexpectedly. Yeah, I guess I lean towards both. Like, he, he has the business drive, but he wants connection. But then when his son is like, I'm going to start my own company, it's like the nail in the coffin. Because he does apparently sometime in that like 15 year gap we take, like reconnect with his son and their partners again, but he's got his competitiveness. Nobody else can win. <laughs> Sees that as a betrayal. He's going against the business, the most important part of his life. So, Well, and he never takes the time to learn sign language either during all that time either. That is true. You're right. He just shows zero interest in like communicating as soon as his son is deaf. You could tell how fed up he is with them, which is like, ugh. So why did H.W. burn that underneath that guy's bed to try? Did he like? Did he read something in his journal and realize he was a fake, or was he I just? I think so. 
he like knew it wasn't that guy's journal that it was somebody else like it was that his other actual brothers somehow i thought maybe he was just acting out i couldn't tell you because it's yeah it's not super clear what's going on with that i think it's hard to tell too um i do lean towards that he read in the journal something but they also present it in a way that he could just be fed up and acting out because, like, Daniel Day-Lewis is not being a great father to him at all at that point. He's not even trying to connect with him. So he's like, I need to do something to act out and let him know I'm not happy. I, w- I want to bring up when H.W. loses his hearing because I think that's a very telling scene in the um, Daniel Plainview's character, right? It's such a great scene overall too because you've got the oil rig blowing up basically and it's got the fire jetting out and it's caused hw to lose his hearing so they they have to rescue him and take him into the thing and then his father quotation marks leaves him alone to go deal with the with the oil pump which i guess fair enough for a bit uh because that could cause a lot of damage but then he's out there until like nighttime and then he's so enthralled with the proof that there's so much oil there and it, it it's it's shot so well because it's like he's in the dark and he's covered in oil and he's all black and it's like assistance by him too and has a clean face and he asks um about hw or whatever and daniel's like oh he he's he's messed up he he's gonna he's not okay and then his assistant just immediately runs to go see hw and daniel just sits there and is looking at all his oil right it's such like it's such a perfect visual and story like telling moment in the film It, it, it like perfectly encapsulates his feelings i think towards like his business versus everybody else yeah, he's got like a wild look in his eye too. He looks crazy in that moment. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that scene, I think that's one of the like uh kind of like act intros they do that are really cool. It seems like every time there's like a new act in this movie, it starts out with like nobody talking for several minutes. Like the first scene's pretty long. Like the first like 10 minutes nobody says anything. And then every time they change acts throughout, it's like you're just watching people but somehow they kind of convey to you what's going on in that time while no one's talking and everyone's just running around. Or if they are talking, you know, it's like yelling, there's an oil fire in the background or something. But it's never like actual dialogue. But I think it makes for a really cool storytelling device, like, I guess, setting up like period pieces. Because there are some pretty big time jumps, but we're never really out of the loop, I feel like. Yeah, it's just getting all the important parts. There's, the whole movie looks so good. And I had two visual moments that stood above the rest. The first one, when Daniel Day-Lewis is kneeling in front of the burn, like, oil pump, and the guys are rushing the dynamite up to it, and he's pointing forward. Ooh, that looks so good. And then when they're out surveying for the pipeline, when he's standing in that, like, field of flowers, it's only there for, like, a second, and then it's gone. I was like, oh. That's it. Yeah, that is good. That whole survey thing was really, was so good looking. Yeah, I think my favorite is the one Dan was mentioning where he's just staring at the eye, the fire's like reflecting off of him. And, oh, that's uh, the one I like too. <laughs> yeah. That whole set piece, but that's what I was talking about. It feels more grand. Like that whole thing's like bursting into flames and stuff. That was really, all looked so awesome. This is my favorite looking one out of all the Paul Thomas Anderson ones we've seen so far i will say i guess uh one of my like main complaints with it i guess i do i just feel like it goes on for a little too long i feel like there's a couple points where it could have really just ended i didn't really need to know anymore after that and then it just keeps going uh we just got to get to see daniel wallow in his sadness for the rest of the movie which i kind of got that vibe for a while i didn't know if i needed to see it that long um i feel like after he talks talks with his son after he's all grown up i feel like that would have been the perfect way to end it the paul dana scene was interesting at the end but i felt like it was kind of unnecessary i don't know i just kind of like the way that they left down their terms it felt like paul dana was off to you know go con another town and 
you know, he seemed happy and Daniel Day-Lewis was destroyed. I, I don't know. I I didn't really need to see him, like, brutally murder Paul Dano, even if he is kind of a <laughs> skeezy guy in this. It just felt unnecessary to me. I guess I feel like this movie, you know, despite all the things it is, uh, you know, an examination of American capitalist culture and family values and, you know, mental health issues, it's really ultimately the story of Daniel Plainview almost killing <laughs> Eli until the end. Like, once you've seen that end, there's so many times throughout the movie where you're like, man, he could have done it here. He almost did it here. <laughs> he was this close to killing him in this one. He kind of disappears through a lot of the middle of the movie. I kind of, like, forget about him until... It seems like about an hour he's gone. Like, he's not really... I don't know. It doesn't... He doesn't... He's, like, an antagonist, but I don't feel like that's, like, the movie either, I guess. It, it feels like if maybe if the movie was more about them, like, butting heads all the time then maybe i would be more satisfied with how that ended but i don't know it's not the whole movie you're right but eli is the i i would argue he's the main it's weird they're both antagonists right i'd argue he's daniel plainview's main antagonist because all of the like main troubles he has always falls back to eli you know whether he's asking him for money or he's converting all his um his workers to his cult or he has to get that that tract of land and the guy won't sell it to him and of course he's part of Eli's cult and so he has to go and like debase himself and be humiliated by Eli to get that land which is also another good like scene showing that he's gonna whore himself out for his business basically you know he has no standards when it comes to that so it's like they're constantly trying to one-up each other and what when somebody gets the upper hand the other one takes it back right because and it's like that throughout the whole movie because he goes there at the start to scam eli's dad and then um eli makes him have to pay more for the land right so eli's there and has the one up on him and then eli is like goes to him again when the oil rig's gonna start pumping and just basically tells him you're gonna do this this or this because he thinks he has the upper hand right and then daniel Plainview shuts him down and just keeps doing that throughout the whole movie and that's why i like the that end scene so much too is because Eli had had the last laugh up until that point, right? Because he um, slapped him and made him say all that stuff in his church. And Daniel never forgets any of this stuff or the people who've wronged him or he's pissed at, right? Which is showcased by those oil people. And then he makes that scene in the restaurant when he's like, going up there and talking to him and being like, I did it all myself. I didn't need your money, you know? So up until that point, he's gotten back at everybody who's pissed him off except Eli. And so Eli finally shows up and Daniel gets his ultimate revenge by um, humiliating him, seeing that he's failed and everything and then killing him. And he's finally gotten rid of the last person who has been a problem for them. Yeah, that they play off each other so well. I agree. Um, every time Eli shows up, I'm like, oh, man, it's Eli. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can tell how Daniel's character is so just satisfied at the end, even though he's done something terrible. And he severed, like, the last connection he had probably with anybody in his life who would probably even understand him, too. So it's very sad as well. Yeah, they're more alike than different, honestly, yeah. Ooh, maybe that's the problem. Eli was the only person who could understand him, but he couldn't take it. I do kind of have a theory in regards to people like him. Because, like, so he gets uncomfortable and people ask him about a woman in his life, right? And, like, you know, initially you're like, well, it's because he kind of stole this kid instead of, you know, having an actual son. But then later on, he's kind of just like, I don't want to talk about that. 
And I kind of feel like he might have had a wife who maybe understood him, and maybe he murdered her. And that's why he won't go back to Kansas. But I'll admit, it's kind of a stretch, you know. I feel like I'm going to need, like, a another watch to... <laughs> Man, I don't know. I like that. I feel like there is enough story elements in this that you can make those stretches. Like, I kind of made one similar about religion. Like, there's the whole thing that Paul, or not Paul, Eli, keeps saying all this bad stuff wouldn't have happened to him if he would have, ble like, blessed the well. And I think you can kind of take it a little bit of until maybe the end that maybe Eli is on to something with that because things just keep going bad for him there for a bit. I've seen some um, reviews compare like Daniel's character and Eli as kind of like Cain and Abel in the Bible. So there's like this religion overtone in this one as well that kind of carries on throughout the movie that I think is interesting. I don't know if that's a leap, too, but... No, I think you're right on about that, yeah. I think, you know, like, the it's kind of just, like, uh, the two dark sides of humanity in a way, I guess. You know, there's, like, you know how religion can get kind of dark and corrupt and all that stuff. We've all heard stories about that. And then there's, like, yeah, business, of course, is, you know, we've all heard stories about how horrible and corrupt businesses can be. It's, like, two sides of the same coin, honestly. Um, and, they're, yeah, they're, they're very similar, and it's just, like, two facets of American society that are butting heads, but they're like more similar than different at some points. So it's, there's some stuff there on that, I think. Yeah. You can definitely compare those two together and the corruption and how it turns people into these like demons and shells of themselves. That whole, whole like layer and theme is there. There's so much of that in this movie that I can like pick up on and it's pretty well developed. Most of it, I feel like. That's something they've always been good at is writing out really well thought out characters you know i think this guy has a vendetta against cults because in three out of the four <laughs> we've seen so far there's been cults that are like bad guys <laughs> yeah yeah i was picking up on that like religion is a recurring thing in his movies in some way like a cult uh you know like religion in this one seems like he really hates zealotry Blind faith. <laughs> yeah. I do like, which this is going to be weird because I like cult movies and like, you know, things about cults. I just find it interesting. I like that he had restraint in this one, though, and didn't go too hard on the cult. You know, I think that was a very good choice because that could have really distracted a lot from what they were doing with Daniel Plainview's character. They they had it in there just enough, just enough to showcase that Eli's just like Daniel, you know, willing to do anything for his cult to succeed. So I'm glad that he had, they didn't go too hard on it. I kind of almost wish they would have done a little bit more with it, honestly. I, I feel like, because there's a point in the movie where it feels like the cult just like drops out of it. I think it's around the point where the fake brother plotline appears. Which is like, I guess the movie just like, well, we're going to focus on this for a bit. But I almost would have rather it had been like a more like street, like throughout the constant movie, like that being like something he's having to deal with through each act. Because they never really show up until the end after the fake brother thing has been like, I guess, quote unquote, resolved, gets murdered. But um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of wish that they would have gone a little bit more into like what Eli was doing and like having a little more like butting heads between the workers and the cold and stuff like that. I, I think I would have found that a little more interesting. I felt like that the first time I watched this TV. I definitely wanted more cult, but this time around, I, I agree with you, Dan. I'm glad that they didn't, because it could have very easily gone into one of those cult movies, but it, it doesn't. It kind of refrains from it, and I do appreciate that on the second viewing. I do think there's also like quite a bit to pick up about the cult in the background, kind of going back to that uh, story st storytelling style we were talking about earlier. Uh, you know, where this is about Daniel Plainview, and he's pretty much the central character. Like, we see Eli the first time while he's still, like, you know, the son of a poor farmer. And then he's in a crummy little hovel shack, quote, quote, church with some people. You know, and then we hear about some renovations. Then we come back, you know, a few years later, and they've got a big old new building. He's got more followers. He's more outrageous. And then by the end, you know, he's like a radio televangelist kind of guy. 
Like we, I don't know, we, we get a lot of like contextual clues about him and what he's up to and his weird organization. Yeah, that's true. And it's as scary as Daniel Plainview, I think. Like when he shows up and says he's been on the radio, my first thought was like, oh God, <laughs> that's not good. You know, <laughs> that dude has got some issues, but uh, <laughs> um, I do agree with you, Fox. There's a lot in the background really they, it's not in the forefront because like that one time he goes up there and you see eli's trying to blame daniel for the death at the oil thing and then daniel's trying to blame eli for it so there's a little exchange there that kind of showcases what the cult's been doing um in the background and then like you said two fox with that slow progression going on and then i think yeah it wasn't in there a lot when Henry showed up, but as soon as Daniel kills Henry, guess what comes back? It's the cult <laughs> again. So <laughs> with uh, um with Bandy, the Bandy land, you know. So it's it's always it's very sinister. It's like a cult. It's always working in the background. It seems like under the radar. Eli's just scheming. I see him like pointing at the map. We own the land here. Daniel cannot come through it. Yep, yep. <laughs> go, go get some money from him. That was good. I liked it. They brought that. Yeah, because it's kind of like a one-off line. He's like, ah, forget him. We'll just we'll come back to that guy later. He'll turn around and then yeah, like towards the end of the movie, it's like, oh crap, yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> he never, never came back. We never talked to that guy, did we? Hoops. It's gonna be a little harder to trick him. Like you tried to trick the other people now that he knows what's going on. Let's wrap up the the story and stuff. If you got anything left on the list, let's let's hit it. And then I think we've already talked about the uh, visuals. Yeah, we've already kind of talked about the visuals. I mean, they're great. I think we've all said love the visuals. Yep, stellar as would be expected at this point. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I liked what you said, TV, about him being more epic in scope than all his other ones. I think that adds a lot to it. Just that, man, that oil pump, that that scene is so good. It looks so good. It's perfect with the story and the characters and the acting. It's just like, yeah. If I wanted to pick a chunk out of any of this guy's movies to showcase what he can do with his team, it'd be that scene probably. There, there was a scene at the start that stuck out to me this time too. Like when he gets his first oil rig set up and they're like, they're lowering the, the stuff into there. There's a scene like with the ominous music playing where like, um, I think it's Daniel, he's standing by it and they're lowering a rope into it, but it, it looks suspiciously tied like a noose as they're lo lowering the rope into the oil well. And I was like, Ooh, that's real good. <laughs> Very foreshadowing of. Like what's gonna happen, and then what's gonna happen with Plainview's character later down too. That whole, I mean, and this is a good segue to the audio too, because I think that whole first section is so ominous and creepy, and like no words are really spoken at all. It's just this guy digging a hole and like <laughs> messing with rocks. But it's like it reminded me a lot of a uh, Space Odyssey with like the the creepy ominous music and then like yeah just like this like thing that's happening. I don't know. It felt like yeah the verge of a discovery, but is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know that whole space what Space Odyssey's doing and it's like he's got like the oh like low creepy like notes. Oh man, it it blends and it really like just gives you the perfect indication of yeah what where this movie's gonna go. <laughs> it's, this is not good. This is not good at all. Plus it like doubles as showing like how horrifying actually doing that being a minor is back in the day. I mean, it still is pretty dangerous now, but back then it's even worse. So it, it like doubles for that too. And it's like, it's, it's terrifying going down in that hole. Yeah. That oil was so disgusting looking. Yeah. I, when the people were like, just like, slopping around in there i was like oh geez this is horrible yeah it's just the film emphasizes the grossness of this yeah so well that's a good call i, I always kind of thought of like the horror music as being like daniel plainview as a as like a monster which i guess i'm sure it is but the oil is kind of like 
Like the obelisk in Space Odyssey. That's a good call. It evolved, Dan, but perhaps the oil industry evolved Daniel into his next state, which is a horrible, you know, greedy business guy. <laughs> yeah. Probably can't have been good for his brain health, breathing all those fumes. <laughs> no. <laughs> we can blame that too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he swallowed like a gallon of oil in the making of this movie, it looked like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the music in this too. That's probably, I don't know. It's between this and Punch Drunk Love for me. This probably is my favorite of all the, the movies we've watched so far, though, in terms of music. I really, really liked it a lot in this movie. Adds a ton. It wouldn't hit the same without that music. You know I love it because they didn't have any of those licensed tracks like, what? you know what I mean, and all those <laughs> other ones. Yeah, or it was like the old country western song or something. No, it didn't need, no. Thank God that's <laughs> they don't have any of that in here. <laughs> that guy from uh, the Radiohead guy did this one too, I believe. He's done most of them we've seen. Really? This guy. Yeah. York? Is that his name? Tom York? Uh, I want to say Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood. He's done... Uh, I don't know if he's done all of them we've seen, but at least three of them. I think this one is the least eclectic out of all of the scores. I You could argue that it is still eclectic, but um, it just works so well with what they're going for that I think it, it actually it fits... A lot better than the other scores for the other three we've seen. But I think Inherent Vice's score was pretty, pretty decent. This, yeah, this one isn't as quirky for sure. All the other ones felt like, well, the Master didn't really have that quirkiness. That that one was pretty serious most of the time. But yeah, this one doesn't have quite like the the weird. This is like a lot more straightforward, I guess. Yeah, in terms of tone, at least. I do think Punch Drunk Loves was the most impressive to me. I don't know. I felt like it was just as important as the cinematography in that one. I just, I don't know, it hit me so hard. I felt like sick listening to it at half the movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I guess have we done it? There's a lot to discuss. Yeah. I feel like I could ramble on about how much I love this movie for hours to go, so. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, we have a scale we use to rate these movies. It goes from burn it, pass, watch it, or buy it in that order. We're all going to give a little spiel. And we're going to, yeah, see where we all land. Is it going to be different than the last few times? We kind of change our ratings up, it seems like, quite a bit with this series. So who knows? I have a feeling where everybody's going to land on this one. But <laughs> we will find out. Uh, but this does remind me of, you know, my uh, days as an oilman myself. Yeah, At least I like to call myself that. <laughs> and one time I was digging. I was digging deep trying to find some oil. And I just, I, I kept hearing this this voice down in the well, and I couldn't tell what it was. And I just kept digging, trying to find this voice. It sounded familiar, and it just kept calling to me. And it's like, I, that's all I could think about. All my personal relationships we put aside, I couldn't handle it. I just had to follow this voice into the well and keep, you know, siphoning it out and trying to record it. And it, it took me a long time, and at the cost of many uh, of my personal relationships. But finally, I figured it out, and I found it first. And it was Mike. His uh. voice was down in the well. In honor of Mike's voice, I think he should go first. I've struck gold, boys. I'm retiring from here on out. I found gold in the well. <laughs> kind of like with this movie. There Will Be Blood is complete gold. After I watched it the second time, I definitely think that There Will Be Blood is a masterpiece. Um, everything about this is top-notch. There's so many layers. Daniel Day-Lewis just commands the scene throughout the movie and is a very interesting character. On top of that, it looks amazing. Like all Everything is so good in this. I'd say this is probably in my top 25 movies. This is a buy it from Mike. Oh, yeah. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, this is, uh, if you couldn't tell, this is like one of my favorite movies of all time. As as I said, I kind of stumbled on it accidentally in high school. And I would say it even kind of like had an impact on me as a person. But this is a pretty hefty movie and it tackles some pretty crazy topics. I feel like it's, um, it's up there, you know, top five for me personally, probably... I think it belongs in the same realm as Citizen Kane. I don't know. 
It's an easy buy. Obviously, I don't know. I have to say it at this point. It's a buy. Just go out and buy it. Consume. Give this Paul Thomas Anderson your money. This movie will, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's an amazing film for everyone. Who wouldn't like this? It's great. Yeah, I, I like this movie. I think it's pretty good. I don't know if it's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, but it's definitely in the upper echelons. Um, it's got great acting as per most of his movies. Um, you know, the, the music, the visuals, they're all stellar. Um, I had a few complaints about the story. Um, and I think, you know, maybe it's a little too long for my taste, but overall, I think all the scenes are good. Um, and I think they, you know, it, it's just an interesting movie. Lots of stuff to talk about. Lots of stuff you can kind of decipher, pull from it. The dig, the the deeper you dig, the more you might find. Um, so I'm I'm gonna give it a buy. It I I really did like it. I thought it was really good. So yeah, I'll give it a buy. It. This, this one's interesting because um, it feels like the culmination of a director's career, but it's not with this guy. You know, this came out in 2007, and let's see, two of the movies we've reviewed came out after this one. The Master and Inherent Vice, Punch Drunk Love, came out before this one. And then, like, you had Magnolia and Boogie Nights, which are pretty popular, too, that came out before it. So this, like, right, feels like it's right in the middle of his career, but it feels to me like something you'd make at the end of your career after learning and refining all your techniques. It's that good. But this this came out in the middle. And I do think that it's his best movie. I haven't seen all his films, but of the ones I have seen, this one is like leagues better than all the rest of them. Um, I've had pretty consistent feelings on the other three we've watched in this series so far. I loved all the technical aspects with the story and character, or like the, the plot sometimes. And sometimes the characters could have been a bit better, but not with this one. This one just does everything like perfectly, up, ups the ante, if you will, on all the techniques and aspects of filmmaking that he's done. So yeah, this, this one's definitely a buy it for me. I don't know how he could make something better than this. There it is, exactly as I predicted. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Who would have guessed? I, I figured we were all going to be right where we were. This movie's nuts. Just a good one. Overall, you know, sometimes you get those, I guess. And I feel like it would be good for, like, a pretty broad audience. I mean, I know it's kind of weird and kind of scary, but I feel like my parents could even watch this one and be all right. Maybe even like it. Well... Depends. I watched this with my wife, and she hated this movie. Oh, really? <laughs> Dang. So, interesting. Not everybody will like it. Yeah. <laughs> We're not done with this guy's movies yet either, are we? What's up next week, guys? I feel like we should do another, just to know, you know, make sure we understand. Yeah, the other real big movie that this guy's got. Once we started digging, we got a taste for it, and we want to keep digging. Will it be beneficial or will we turn out like uh, Daniel himself? Not me. Not that Daniel. <laughs> there will be blood, Daniel. Um, and what a build up to this movie um, named Boogie Nights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard a lot about this one. So, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to watch this as well. Me too. I mean, at this point, yeah. Anything this guy does, I'm willing to watch now. This has been a fun director study category. It has, yeah. I've liked this quite a bit. But in the meantime, if any of your listeners out there want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Run the Real, or you can email us at runtherealpodcast.gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts about There Will Be Blood or any of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. I want to know if we missed any of his crucial work. It seems like we, I feel like we've covered most of them. So if we have, you should tell us and we'll, maybe we'll come back and do another one. Yeah, be sure to hit us up. We definitely love to hear from you. And we, we definitely hyped up Boogie Nights here. I'm, I'm way more hyped than <laughs> I, I was originally for Boogie Nights. What a goofy title. But yeah, tune in next week for our last movie, I think, in the Paul Thomas Anderson category. And thanks for listening to us tonight. We really appreciate it. This is Run The Real, signing off. If we have, you should tell us, and we'll maybe we'll come back and do another one. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
Hello? <laughs> right? Wow. Hello? Hello? Did Mike leave? Mike? Did we catch him? He's wow. peeing again? Going what? to the bathroom again? Man, no, I'm not. I'm <laughs> lagging. Suspicious, suspicious. <laughs> so You guys were going like all end. robot on me there. Oh, oh you lagging. Okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... What what happened? I, the last little bit was robots. I was, <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, you know, the normal getting in contact with us, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. The outro just like, never yeah, happened. Like, hmm. okay. I thought maybe a little pee break was happening or I, something. I do have to we go, were but I have you. sat here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> this time. All right. Yeah, we'll do